So I am probably three meters from the track. Uh, I'm as close as it's possible to be without being on the track, really. And I should thank Sonia from security for letting me stand on these barriers. But I am inside London's XL Exhibition Centre, which has been turned into part of the circuit for the London Epri. Uh, rounds 13 and 14 are taking place this weekend. We're currently watching uh, round 14 of the race. Uh, we're about 10 laps in. And there's been a, two or three crashes already. The race has been under yellow flag conditions with the safety car coming out. But racing is now back underway. There you go, that, that, is, that is the sound of uh, 22 uh, second generation Formula E cars. That's what they sound like. It's all, obviously a very distinctive whirring sound as they go, go past. And as they continue to go lap by lap, there's almost something sort of comforting about it. It's unlike any other motorsport I've ever been to. BSI presents The Standard Show. The podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Today's episode is on Formula E, sustainability and standards. Well, I mean, it, it's been eight years that I work in the championship, so it's been a journey also to develop the, I mean, the sustainability uh, strategy and to adapt it to the needs and expectations of our stakeholders. Initially, we were very focused on the environmental aspects of the event, trying to make them as sustainable as they could get. And that's a race without a finish line, to be honest. And then we've really uh, started to embrace and develop more the social aspects, focusing a lot more on the local communities and making sure that we would leave and create those positive impacts adding then the focus on young generation and how we could work with children, notably with the partnership that we have with UNICEF, a global partnership with their, uh, all their climate-related work. And then the work with the teams and the partners is something that has been added also, I mean, it's always been there, but like the key focus is also more recent because we've reached that level of maturity on both sides where the championship and its key stakeholders are ready to really embrace sustainability. Whereas the sustainability leadership and innovation is something that has trickled down all the time as the backbone of, uh, I mean, the championship from what we call the racing and the reason element. And probably the best way to showcase that is the next generation of our car that will be used next season in the championship, which is the pinnacle of what you can get in terms of performance, technology and sustainability. Hello, my name is Matthew Childs and welcome to The Standard Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards. Now, that little mix at the top of the episode, we started with London-based musician and producer Jax Jones and the vocalist Gracie, entertaining a sellout crowd inside London's XL for round 14 of the FIA Formula E World Championship, the world's first all-electric international single-seater motorsport championship. And this was followed by the countdown to the race itself and then, well, let's be honest, my rather feeble attempt at some race commentary. I was trying and most definitely failing to channel my inner Murray Walker, a reference for older listeners there, in describing some of the early action of the race. I even managed to say 14th round of the race when of course I meant 14th round of the championship. And for those of you wondering, the race was eventually won by Lucas de Grassi from Brazil, driving for the Rocket Venturi team. And the last voice in our little mix was that of Julia Palais, Director of Sustainability at Formula E, talking about what has driven their sustainability strategy, how it's evolved from being focused on the individual rounds of the championship to the championship overall, to the social impacts, and also about engaging the next generation. Now, I was at Trackside at Excel for that race weekend earlier in the year to talk to Julia and a number of her Formula E colleagues about the important relationship between Formula E, sustainability and standards, and in particular, ISO 2012-1 for sustainable event management. And I was there partly because in 2021, Formula E won a BSI Standards Award for how they use that particular standard to manage risks and develop trustworthy collaborations with their key partners and sponsors through an integrated waste management and recycling plan. So this is very much a standards users episode of The Standard Show. Now, before the five red lights go out to get this episode underway, here's Cindy 
with a speedy reminder. Yes, Matthew, this is Cindy Parakil here with a speedy Formula E-style reminder that here on The Standard Show, we really welcome your feedback. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Find and follow us on Twitter at Standard Show and on Instagram at The Standard Show. And check out the show notes for all of the ways to get in touch. So, in pole position on the grid in this episode is Julia Palais. I spoke to Julia at trackside during qualifying for round 13 of the championship, which you'll hear in the background. Now, Julia is Director of Sustainability at Formula E, and I started by asking her to tell me that on a day-to-day basis what's involved in that role. Uh, that means that I basically develop and implement the sustainability strategy of the championship. And that consists of four key pillars. Uh, the environmental impact, especially on our events, the social progress, so how we leave a positive impact in our local communities, and I would say more broadly in the global local communities, focusing on children and young, young people. The work that we do uh, with our teams and our partners that we call creating value through values, so how we use sustainability to enhance the credentials of the championship, but also bring value to them. And then last but not least, going back to the DNA of the championship, leadership and innovation on sustainability. And obviously it's a, a very comprehensive approach to, to sustainability. I just wonder, pun intended, what's, what's driven this? What's driven your approach to sustainability in this way? Well, I mean, it, it's been eight years that I work in the championship, so it's been a journey also to develop the, I mean, the sustainability uh, strategy and to adapt it to the needs and expectations of our stakeholders. Initially, we were very focused on the environmental aspects of the event, trying to make them as sustainable as they could get. And that's a race without a finish line, to be honest. And then we've really uh, started to embrace and develop more the social aspects, focusing a lot more on the local communities and making sure that we would leave and create those positive impacts adding then the focus on young generation and how we could work with children, notably with the partnership that we have with UNICEF, a global partnership with their, uh, all their climate-related work. And then the work with the teams and the partners is something that has been added also, I mean, it's always been there, but like the key focus is also more recent because we've reached that level of maturity on both sides where the championship and its key stakeholders are ready to really embrace sustainability. Whereas the sustainability leadership and innovation is something that has trickled down all the time as the backbone of uh, I mean, the championship from what we call the racing and the reason element. And probably the best way to showcase that is the next generation of our car that will be used next season in the championship, which is the pinnacle of what you can get in terms of performance, technology and sustainability. Uh, that's the Generation 3, isn't it? We can hear in the background the Generation 2 that's going around now. So next year, Generation 3 will be the, be the car that's used by all the teams. Absolutely. So next year, the teams will be racing with Gen 3, which means that it's going to be a more powerful car. It's also a smaller car, so it's more aggressive. And that's the first car in the world uh, that has been conceived with sustainability KPIs and the principle of circularity. So we had the learnings of Gen 2 that were basically taken into account and I would say inserted into the design phases of Gen 3. As an organization, how do, how do employees and colleagues experience your approach to sustainability? How do they feel it and experience on a day-to-day basis? So probably the biggest achievement for me is that we created an authentic culture for sustainability within the championship, which means that all our employees, one, are very driven by our, by our mission. Our mission is literally to accelerate sustainable human progress. So sustainability is at the heart from the very top. It's very clear what we need to do and deliver. And also, interestingly, the way we've approached, thanks to the implementation of the standards, ISO 2021 sustainability, is that we've nominated in each department a sustainability champion that we've trained, with whom we develop roadmaps in terms of you know, their core expertise and how to make it more sustainable. And we're really at a stage where it's actually the different departments pushing us to do more, which is probably the dream of any sustainability lead in an organization. Now, I'll come back to standards in a second, but back, back to the team. So in terms of you said that recently, that relationship has then developed in terms of sustainability. So describe that to me. How, how does the, the championship relate to the teams in terms of the approach to sustainability? So I have a uh, working group with all the team principals. These are the CEOs of the different, work, uh, of the different racing teams. And so this working group consists of discussing specifically sustainability matters that can bring them value and enhance the credentials of the championship. 
some of the projects we are discussing are really strategic, uh, some things that I can't exactly mention yet, but you will hear in a couple of months. But that's how we basically set a very high level of standards for all the teams. So one example is that all the teams have to reach the highest level in terms of environmental management set by our international federation. It's called the FIA environmental accreditation at the three-star level. And that's mandatory for all the teams uh, by the end of the season. And that's very important to us because that's how they practice what we all preach. Because they understand and they live sustainability on the day-to-day -day in their racing daily operations. Now, we talk, you mentioned about standards, so um, we've got to come to that. Now, on the podcast, we love a journey, okay? So um, we always ask our guests about their, about their standards journey. So how did you, what, what's your standards journey? How did, you, how did you develop your relationship with standards? I'll come to 2012-01 uh, in a second, but your general relationship with standards, how would you describe it? Well, standards are an amazing way to get guidance and direction for me. I started... Uh, implementing the environmental strategy at the time, the first season of Formula E, using the standard that our international federation had developed, the FIA Three Stars Accreditation. And it was a wonderful tool because it was the industry benchmark to give me guidance on what was relevant for really our sport. And from that, I had actually the mindset of management system and standards. And from this, let's say, first uh, taste of the standards, I actually was able to embrace the ISO 2012-1 journey. And, yes, and how important has ISO 2012-1 been for Formula E? Well, we've really taken ISO 2012-1 as the strategic backbone for our sustainability. So taking it as best in class and really weaving all the sustainability strategy uh, as part of the structure of the standard. So the sustainability strategy is integral to the standard implementation and vice versa. And again, I asked you earlier about sort of how people experience, uh, uh, employees experience the approach to sustainability. How does ISO 2012-1 influence people on a day-to-day -day basis working in the championship? So, the, our people in the championship don't even realize that they work in line and in accordance to 2012-1. The reality is that we've embedded in the Bible of how to organize our events all the key elements of the standard that we've made and developed bespoke to us. So it's, it's part of the day-to-day, -day. they don't even know that it's a requirement of the standard or part of the way to operate in line with the standard. And for me that's the beauty of it, we've really made it ours and that works with our way of operating, that works with our cultural approach and that's for me the real success story. Well in terms of success it's interesting isn't it because we obviously we using a standard is fantastic and you're certified to that standard but how how do you measure the impact how do you measure the success of you using the standard well the, the success is that we can we keep being continually accredited that's that's one but I think that most importantly the success is the success that our sustainability strategy gets in terms of the recognition from our peers the uh, passion and interest from our key stakeholders again the teams the partners the prospect in terms of uh, partnerships and sponsors so that's really by showcasing probably like a, a sort of like a blueprint in terms of sustainability strategy because it's really in synergy with the standard and we've had the best way to approach it and where's next for you with standards what other management system standards are you looking at at all in order to, to implement across the business so the next step is is the business resilience uh, approach where we are implementing uh, I mean four other standards going from quality management to environmental health and safe health and safety and environmental health and safety which is essential for us which is going to really be I think the pinnacle of how the business will really uh, evolve and also operate at the maximum level of credibility and legitimacy because we are I mean in an industry where excellence is the only thing that matters and the way we need and want to operate is nothing less but excellence. So in terms of your approach to implementing those will it be using exactly the same model you've used for 2012-1? So the, the beauty is that 2012 is, is the standard that has been the longest like, implemented in the business. So we are using really the bare bones of 2012-1 by Formula E to really develop these uh, standards and implement them so that we basically have a very consistent and coherent approach in-house to make sure that this, let's say, mega system in the end will be really like, in the same, like, I would say, like, in the same vein, in the same DNA. 
And above and beyond that, where would you, where do you think what, what's next for sustainability beyond those three or four extra standards? What else are you looking at? Well, I mean, as I said, sustainability is a race with no finish line in general and certainly within Formula E. So we are continually trying to improve and to develop how to reduce our environmental impact. We were the first world in the world to achieve net zero carbon since inception, but we then committed to science-based targets. Again, the first world in the world to do that. So we have quite a lot of work to do to make sure that we keep reducing our CO2 emissions by 50% by 2030. We also are working hard on all the diversity, equity and inclusion topic and still very much pushing the charge in terms of the projects that we do with our teams and our partners to showcase their excellence, to showcase their expertise and to showcase that it's really like broadening the scope of sustainability within the championship. Critics might say, you know, you're, this is a, a, a large sporting event that you're taking around the world. You know, this is, you're, sh you're shipping uh, lots and lots of equipment around us here and you're taking it on, on planes and everything around the world. How, how do you respond to that? How, how is that really being sustainable? Well, the reality is that when we are very aware and open and honest on the fact that 75% of our carbon footprint is driven by the logistics of us being a traveling circus around the world. But the thing is that recognizing it means also that we are acting upon it. Uh, we work very closely with our logistics partner, DHL. We've created since many years a sustainable logistic roadmap that really has enabled us to have a look at a geographical approach of organizing our races or calendar. Also a multimodal approach for the freight, so not only using air freight but also sea freight, road freight, and using new technologies such as biofuel made from like third generation type of biofuels, and more to come uh, on that on that front. The reality is that this is scope three for us, and we can really work hard with our partner. It's just something that, uh, I mean, we need the rest of the industry and the technology to push hard and to make sure that they keep innovating and, and improving also on that front. I mean, this championships are going for eight, eight years now. I just wonder if looking at a further eight or, t or ten years time, what do you want people to be saying about Formula E? The whole point has always been to showcase that sustainability and motorsport or in sport general can powerfully coexist and can actually enhance each other. So it's really how we are using the power of sports and all platform to inspire people to live a more sustainable lifestyle and make them understand that it's actually the coolest thing. Obviously, Formula E, you've incorporated ISO 2012 on it's the backbone of your approach to sustainability, as you said, and now you're working with, you're looking to implement other management system standards and combine those together. I just wonder what you'd say to it doesn't have to be a sporting championship, but any organization looking to do a similar thing, what advice would you, what would you, what would you say to them? The implementation of standard is a real strategic, if not more cultural approach to your business to make it more resilient, but also to make it stronger in terms of everything that you will do has a strategic and holistic approach. Whether it's about sustainability, it's about quality management, it's really the best way to make sure that you will operate at the highest level in terms of efficiency in your business. Julia had mentioned the travelling circus, and we'll come to how the whole show moves around the world later. But first, I want to discover more about the operational delivery of sustainability for Formula E, and in particular, how the championship has used and is using ISO 2012-1 and the journey they've been on with the standard. And I did this with Iona Nielsen and Matthew Elmer. Now, Iona is Senior Sustainability Manager at Formula E, and Matthew is Health, Safety and Environmental Manager. And he's been concerned with another international standard that I spoke about with Julia, ISO 45001, for occupational health and safety management, for which Formula E is also certified. Now, I chatted to both Iona and Matthew about how they approach using both standards as an organisation, the lessons learned and some of the effects that the standards had had, such as how important using standards is as a tool for recruitment. But I started by asking Iona about why ISO 2012-1 in particular has been so important. I think we've always had sustainability really at the core of Formula E. It's why we exist as a championship to really advocate for electric mobility, improving air pollution and fighting climate change. So what we wanted to do was put a really robust, credible system in place so that we couldn't be scrutinised, so that we could truly say, state, but also 
walk the walk and talk the talk is how we say it. So it was one of the first things that we wanted to achieve and we achieved it for a singular event back in 2016. That was the first step. And then obviously then wanted to achieve it for the entire championship so that we can say that the entire world championship is as sustainable as possible and that the holistic planning and delivery of our events has sustainability in each of the different areas. And on a sort of a, you know, when, you, when you're implementing it across the business, what's the process there? How did you go about it? I mean, it's quite difficult because it involves engaging, obviously, with a lot of different departments and people because it really is, we really do need the, the buy-in and empowering of all of the different, you know, um, employees within Formula E to really integrate it properly. So what we've done is we have champions in all the different departments that we work with really closely. We look at their existing processes, procedures, understand where can sustainability be integrated into that so that we can improve all of the processes and planning within Formula E and make sure that it can be as sustainable as possible. So it's really about that engagement piece with all of the different departments, providing support, but also then empowering them and training them up so that they can then be responsible and contribute to this. And talk me about that process then when you went from organisation to championship. How did you go about that? So that, yeah, we've done it for the individual events. So that was obviously a bit more straightforward because you're looking at just one location, um, one existing location and one country. So that was our pilot event and we looked into just making sure we had the right objectives in place, the right documentation. We then obviously had to draw that out even further. We raced in so many different locations. So we had to then start looking at for instance, legal compliance in all of the other different locations and making sure that for sustainability, but just for everything, the legal register, making sure that we adhere to all of the local regulations as well. Um, so, and looking at the local context, like there's different risks, there's different opportunities in all of the different race locations. So making sure that we consider that local context and that it's delivered in our event planning. And what particular challenges did you face when you were doing that? I mean, obviously that sounds like a huge undertaking. Mm. What, what did you face? I mean, just an example, I guess, is Saudi Arabia. And there's a few different issues we've obviously we've come across there. First of all, is actually having recycling facilities just because it's not that normal there. It's a bit difficult to implement. We've managed to do it now, but it didn't really exist when we went to that championship. Sorry, went to that location. And that's obviously quite inherent to Formula E and something that's quite important. Similarly, we're trying to implement hydration stations there, but it's not really native and in their culture to, to use refill bottles. And they would actually try and use it to wash their feet in before they're going in to pray. So lots of challenges, really, like I'm trying to understand that local context and then try and just educate and raise awareness. So even trying to implement these things and make small improvements. Obviously, Saudi Arabia is one example. And then the US is completely different because they're already very far on that journey. So actually, it's, yeah, lots of different complexities but it just makes it all the more interesting to try and deliver the events and you mentioned your the, the championship is certified obviously to 2012 one and you've gone through that how many times did you say we, we've recertified last year so we've been through the, the surveillance twice well so two cycles and i think you're being audited this weekend aren't you yes we actually had the auditor on site the last three days but we're she's gone now and no non-conformities <laughs> that i know of so but i can't celebrate just yet we need to have the closing meeting and talk me through that what, what did that involve as a, as a process yeah so that involves setting up a number of different meetings so the auditor mainly wants to see when she comes to site really how it all fits together speaking to all of the people from the different departments to really understand uniquely to this race what and how it's been delivered and any lessons learned from previous editions and what's changed, what's new. It's, it's quite interesting here because we were meant to race here in 2019 but couldn't because of the pandemic. Same with 2020. We raced here last year but it was behind closed doors. So this year has been the first year where it's actually been a proper London race. So it's, it was really interesting, I think, for her to see how it all works. As, as Matt said, it's a very unique indoor-outdoor circuit. It's our home race as well. So we've had an awful lot going on this week. But um, but yeah, a lot of interviews, just wanting to learn things like procurement or operational planning and control or the legal compliance elements or even the kitchens or environmental yeah. management with venue operations. So lots of different elements, really. That's awesome. So Matt, you, uh, uh, I only mentioned Matt there. So Matt, you 45,001, um, but in terms of your, in terms of your role, how, you know, Tell me, tell me about 45,000 How is it being implemented across across the championship? Yeah, so well, I guess within Formula E, um, it's sort of been a it's sort of been a six seven year process. We're only eight years old as a company, so we've had to build we had to build a system from you know over eight years. It's evolved from you know no health safe system to building system that's been put in place. And then over the last sort of eighteen months, sort of we start that cycle to be certified to 45,001 international standards. Environmental management sort of. Sort of sits, it sits in the same room, it, sort of, but it means sort of like managing our environmental impacts at the event. So anything from like spills management, waste management, 
um, how we manage how we manage the actual operational controls of the event. So how we make sure that we're not you know polluting the area we're in and we're following a sort of like set standards. And then obviously the health and safety side of it is a lot more about you know, making sure we're compliant on health and safety legislation. We're protecting people. We're protecting you know the event, and we're making sure that we reach a high level standard across the business as well. Because we operate in a lot of different countries as well. So for us, getting certified to 45,001 gives out us that international standard and that sort of like level where you know we try and adopt across each event across the world because health safety standards you know can be varied from you know Mexico for example to London where London's a lot more you know a lot more high legislation a lot more standards whereas Mexico for example and other countries like in, in parts of the world standards are not so high. And how have you how have you approached that what have you had to do internally in order to approach those differences? So I guess internally um, we've really sort of made a lot of effort on making our processes and procedures like we've been setting minimum standards across the globe and making sure that we adopt those where we can abroad. So it's having set processes and procedures, having set rules, and having a very set planning process from from you know from the start of the event through to the delivery of the event to make sure that we can we can adopt that. Just wonder from your perspective, you know, what why is certification against the standard important to you? So I guess to to me and to the business, you know, it's really important because it demonstrates to us, you know, as a business, and to also you know, our partners, our ecosystem, the teams, even fans, that you know that we're taking you know health, safety, and environmental management, sustainability management, really seriously. So it shows that you know we've got a set process. We're getting third-party audited, and it's showing that you know we meet the standard that you know that's, that's set from BSI and from different you know certification bodies. I just wonder any sort of learnings, maybe owner, about you know learning from the 2012. One experience. How has that gone into the forty-five thousand and one experience? I think the process um, has been very similar. We've actually reused a lot of the policies, procedures that we actually developed for twenty twelve one. We just had to put a bit more of a health and safety lens on it. I think um, lessons learned, uh, as an example, I guess. Let's try and think of one. I don't, well, integrating it into the business as an example, I mean, it took a lot longer for the sustainability. So I think forty-five thousand and one, we started engaging. I think pretty earlier in terms of the employees to make sure that we were delivering it and working a lot more collaboratively on it because I think when we started ISO 2012 one back in the day it was the company was a lot smaller and it was less engaged and we a bit less collaborative but I think we've been on a journey even internally in Formula E in the last eight years and I think we've now got really robust Op, like you know, organisational risk sorted now, and we're even looking at other ISO standards. Well, 2001 as an example. Yes, I was about to ask. I mean, you talked about almost a cultural change that took place. Exactly, I think. Yeah. I just wonder, from a general employee's perspective, you know, where where 2012-1 and now 45,000, where do they sit within sort of people's consciousness, really, in terms of their day-to-day practice? Is is it there? Yeah, I think it's even from when you know you start at Formula E, we get a lot of feedback from HR as to one of the reasons why people want to come and work at Formula E is because of our values and what we stand for like we're very unique and it's really and truly embedded into our organization so I think even from that stage and then doing an induction on sustainability and then really understanding how it works within the organization and I think they're, they're proud they're really proud to work for it and I think they, you can really tell that like, everyone's really passionate about it obviously probably can't talk about it as much as me um, but yeah I think that they're just really truly proud to work for an organization like this and, and it, it comes through in everybody's sort of jobs like even like the podium and the trophies, like they're made from sustainable materials. So we re- really rely on getting them engaged and motivated and then them like leaving them to figure out how they can integrate it into all of the different areas of our event. I just wonder, are you finding it a sort of a, a key recruitment tool? Do you, are you finding people coming to work with you because of this position that you take? Yeah, absolutely. I think we're, a lot of people want to work in events. I think there's a lot of events positions out there, but I think Formula E is very unique. It's events and sports and sustainability. And a lot of people are, well, events are now on this journey as well. But I think we like to think that we are one of the leaders in that space and we really want to try and keep that. And I think that is one of the, definitely one of the pulling factors. I just, as someone who's been involved with this for quite a few years now, I just wonder where, on a personal level, where, where do you think using international standards might go next in your, in your particular part of the business? I think, well, I think it's, it's just basically made us all really robust. Um, I think what we'll do next is go for 9,001 and 45, sorry, 14,001, because we really want to cover all of those bases and have this really sort of organisational risk organised. I think it's given really good sort of framework to the business. Um, everybody really truly understands the benefit and the value of having an ISO standard integrated into the business. And I think, yeah, we're just going to keep going with and, and try and achieve all four in, I think, the next coming seasons. And then who knows where we'll go after that. <laughs> Yeah. In terms of the, you, you've been certified in the audit um, uh, this weekend. Just wonder how, how you know how important is that to you as a championship? Why why go for that certification in the first place? I think 
think it's super important because I think it's the, it's the international standard for sustainable events and that is the one thing that we try and put forward that that is super important to us for championship to minimise the environmental impacts and promote the fact that our events are as sustainable as possible. It's a reputational thing and I think as we're growing as a championship we are getting more scrutiny so we have to make sure that we're completely watertight and I think ISO, having ISO 2012 won sustainable events it's the most credible standard out there. Um, really sort of recognised by everybody as the standard to, to achieve for sustainable events. Obviously coming from, from 2012, sorry, 2012 Olympics to Formula E. So I think it was super important to the business to achieve that and to maintain that as well. We're really working hard, making sure we're continuing to improve as a business as well. It's, it's really been really good to have. I think even seeing the journey in four and a half years, which I've worked at Formula E for, we've taken some amazing steps like even starting it was obviously sustainable as a championship but every year we're improving improving and it can particularly on environmental management and the journey we've been on there as well um, and they go crossover with 2012 1 and 45001 so Matt's starting to take that over as well and we're really starting to collaborate even more as a business having I think we've had that because of having 45001 and 2012 1 and the sort of over overlapping parts Overlap. yeah now you're an organisation of sort of sort of 200 people, so a relatively large organisation. Just wonder what you'd say to similar organisations or similar size organisations about the approach you've taken for that adoption and integration. What what advice might you give them? I mean, I would say that it does look daunting at the start, but you know you have to start somewhere. And, and I would suggest starting as small as possible, like we did, but just a singular event or even like your headquarters or something. Like really looking into. How if you can make the scope small and start with a small and then grow it more and more start with some key departments where you think you might have your biggest impact so for us it was freight and logistics which you will speak to later as well because obviously that's one of the biggest impacts of the championship so starting small and growing it and starting with a few key areas where you think that you can have the biggest impact sometimes they're also low-hanging fruits that are quite easy to easy to do so focusing on that and then that being your sort of case studies so an example logistics is one but also the um, hydration stations and water pouches that's another example which we we throw around quite a lot because it's a really it was a really simple thing to introduce but like that's it saved over 300,000 plastic bottles we've worked with our partner alliance on that so it's also a really good case study of you know how we are aligning or you know working collaboratively with our partners because we have similar brand values and similar goals on sustainability and that's just one example. Well actually on that, in terms of the relationship with the teams, how does that work then in terms of the, you, you know, your approach to sustainability? They have to buy into that at the, at the same time? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we have regular sort of contact with the teams on almost a race by race basis. Um, we have sustainability working group meetings. Um, we have a sustainability point of contact in each of the teams. We collect all of their data for carbon footprinting purposes. Um, we are working directly with them on those elements. They also, from next season, will have to have what is called the FIA Environmental Accreditation, three star, which is a bit like 14001. It's like a, a basic environmental management system which they have to implement for their own team. And that doesn't just relate to their footprint here, that relates back to their headquarters. They're private testing the events, everything they do as a racing team away from the scope of Formula E too. So it really is a journey and they're, they're absolutely bought in. I think that's one of the reasons why they're in Formula E. Um, they are using us as a test bed, the manufacturers particularly as a test bed for you know, electric vehicle technologies. We've seen a lot of that trickle down into the domestic EVs that you buy on the roads now too. And it's, it's, it's seen real time sort of improvements in like range and battery efficiency. So it's really, really a lot of buy-in. Iona raised the issue of freight and logistics, and we'll get to that soon with her colleague Barry Mortimer. She'd also mentioned that, in fact, Julia had two about the cars. Now, the cars being used in the championship are currently what's called second generation, and Formula E is what's known as a one-make championship. All of the cars are manufactured by a company called Spark. This means the 11 teams all receive the same car and they share the same chassis, battery and tyres. The only variable is the powertrain and this is where teams can develop or deploy their own choice of electric motor or gearbox. And the idea here is a simple one, is that it makes for close and exciting racing. And it does. During the 2022 season, of which there were 16 rounds, seven different teams won races and nine different drivers. And as you've been hearing the sights and the smells and the sounds of Formula E are very distinctive and very different. So, after round 13 qualifying, 
I went to have a close look at the cars and chat to some of the fans about what they thought about Formula E. So I'm having a quick, uh, well not quick, a slow amble down the pit lane uh, here at the London E-Prix. Just outside the garage of Neo 333 Racing, uh, Oliver Turvey and Dan Tickham are the British drivers in this team. Uh, people here gathering and having a special backstage passes here, chatting to some of the drivers and the technicians working on the cars. And I'm just walking over to see some of the cars in Park Ferme here. And uh, magnificent machines they look. I'm just a Formula E fan. I watch Formula E. I've come to watch the race. This is my third race weekend of the season. So. And what are you a normal motor, motor racing fan generally? Yeah. yeah, so I'm a big motor racing fan. I follow across all different series. So this is one of the series that I follow. And what, it, what is it particularly that appeals about this particular form of motorsport? I think it's a very friendly category. It's new, it's innovative. Um, you get really good access like this that we're getting now that you don't often get in, um, for example, Formula One. Um, the drivers are really engaging. There's, you know, you're learning lots. It's just a great experience. And is is the sort of the, the sustainability at the heart of the championship? Is that important to you? I think it is. When you're looking at it, you want to look at how anything you're involved in is, is contributing to sustainability overall. So it's nice to have something when you're a motor racing fan that can really engage with that. You've done this before, haven't you? That was fantastic. Come on, you're not getting away with it. What's your name? Ruth. So Ruth, what, what about you? What appeals to you about Formula E? I enjoy motorsport and all my friends started watching it and sort of like Kate told me to watch it so I did and I just got really into it and I enjoy it. That's the Do you have a, a particular a particular driver at all, a team that you follow? Uh, not really, I follow a few. I like um, like Jake Dennis and Dan Hickton, like the British drivers really, but I like so many of them it's hard to pick. I'll be rude Ruth, how old are you? 27. I just wonder when did you start getting into this? Last year I think. And then this year, this is my second race that I've attended, we went to Rome and saw those races there. So yeah, it's been quite good, it's a good year. I'm Matthew, by the way. Hello. What's, what's your name? Larissa. Larissa. Where are you from, Larissa? Romania. Are you from Romania? Are you living in Romania or are you living in London living at all? Living in London. So how long have you been here? Five years. And uh, mommy asking how old you are? Seventeen. So here at uh, Formula Event in Excel. So what what appeals to you about Formula E? The fact that it's trying to save the environment, unlike Formula One or all the other big racing not companies but concepts they do not try to save the environment all they care about is getting the high championship points and winning and getting the money formula e is trying to save the environment if we don't try to save the environment who would and how long have you, been, have you been following the championship close to three years now so it, well, i mean what was the sort of light bulb moment when you saw that it was around what what drew you in initially so it was the start of the pandemic and that's when i started getting into motorsport and then I was just scrolling to different like races and stuff and Formula E appealed to me. There were drivers I've known from other championships and then there was just a new idea that no one else used before of trying to reduce the carbon emissions. And do you follow any particular driver or any particular team? Yeah. Which one's that? Mercedes, Stoffel van Dorn. And uh, any particular, um, well, what was it? yeah, okay, particular person, but what, anything about Mercedes or was it just a driver that you particularly like? Driver. <laughs> And in terms of uh, you know, in terms of following other motorsport, do you follow other motorsport as well? Yeah. Formula One, WTCR. And is it? Do you think? I mean, do you think over the long term? What, what do you think about where this where this might go? What do you think as a as a young fan? You're 17. You're going to continue to follow it. Where do you think it I might think go? I think it's going to start influencing other championships as well. Because recently, Formula One started getting the more the sustainable thing, and WTCR is slowly getting to it. So maybe. Formula E is going to influence the others and start beginning to reduce the overall carbon emission from... And this might be an unfair question, but I suppose if, if, if they were to do that, what, how would they need to demonstrate to that to you as a fan that they are doing the right thing? I mean, I suppose, what is it that Formula E does around the environment in particular that appeals to you? So it has campaigns and stuff like that. Like, they're always advertising their campaigns, or like planting trees for every, I don't know how many tickets people bought, or they do this recycling stuff other championships don't do that so maybe if they did that and formula e promotes the sustainability 
stuff, all those on social media. The other, campaign, the other companies don't, so maybe that's one of the things. Don't worry about that. So what's, what's your name? Sorenza. Sorenza. Well, how old are you? 21. And where are you from? Belgium. Belgium. So are you, do you live, are you from Belgium just for the, sorry, are you in London just for the weekend or do you live in London at all? I live in London, yeah. I just wonder what, uh, what appeals to you about Formula E? Uh, just the speed and the fact that it's environmentally friendly, still racing and still exciting. Do you follow any other types of motorsport? Uh, I follow Formula One and the lower formulas as well, sometimes in the car. And when did you get into Formula E? When did that sort of start to appeal to you? Uh, around last year. Yeah, last season. But was there a particular, you said there about sustainability, but was there a particular, or the environment issues, was there a particular moment where you thought, oh, that's when I would need to start paying attention? Uh, mostly when they raced here last year, because I used to live around the corner, so I could just hear them from my living room. <laughs> and how about you, what's your name? Morgan. Morgan, and where are you from? I'm from Belgium as well. And how old are you? I'm 22. 22, and I'll say that I ask the same thing. What, what is it that appeals to you about Formula E? Um, she started watching and like, um, it actually got me into it and I like that the fact that it's like it's speed, it's very like fast and like that it can be like on street circuits but also like indoors and um, that is environment friendly. And is there, is there a particular team that you follow? Uh, Stoffel, because he's Belgian. <laughs> so he, he drives for the Mercedes team here, uh, same one for you? Yeah. I mean how do you think, how do you think you'll go over the weekend? Yeah, we hope he's going to win. He has all the chances, so... Thank you very much. Enjoy the racing. I really enjoyed walking the pit lane and paddock, checking out the cars and chatting to some of the fans there. Kate and Ruth from the UK, Larissa, who was originally from Romania, and Sorenza and Morgan, originally from Belgium. Now, in those conversations, they'd spoken about the appeal of Formula E to them. They'd mentioned the sort of access, the friendliness, the, the innovation, the style of racing, and of course, the issue of sustainability. Now, I was experiencing the races taking part in London, rounds 13 and 14 of a 16-round championship. And the race calendar, it also includes places like Rome, Mexico, New York, and Jakarta. Earlier, Julia described it as a bit of a travelling circus, and Iona too had spoken about the importance of freight and logistics to a global event like this. Now, to find out more, I spoke to Paddock and Logistics Director for Formula E, Barry Mortimer. I started asking him to tell me more about his role. So basically, I'm the I'm the responsible for all of the all of the freight that Formula E carries around the world. We have um, three seven four sevens that we that we rent. Uh, we have 300 tonnes of air freight, we have roughly 100 tonnes of sea freight and obviously with all of our different stops around the world we have to uh, coordinate all of this and, and that's my job working with our partner DHL and um, yeah, fingers crossed it's all, it's all worked so far. <laughs> I mean that sounds an incredibly huge undertaking, so what, in, in, that, in that job, you know, what are the particular challenges that you face? I mean, the, the, the biggest challenge we're facing at the moment is obviously the knock-on effect from, uh, from COVID and the way that that's um, affected the, the, the whole freight industry as, as a whole. Um, we haven't got the same amount of airlines that we would be using before the pandemic. Um, the sea freight has, has really had a huge knock-on effect. Everywhere we go, we seem to be facing um, bigger challenges trying to get into ports, there's always backlog, you know, and obviously we've got deadlines to hit. You know, we're having a race every couple of weeks, so you know we have to make sure that all of our planning um, is, is is going on. I'm, I'm speaking to DHL on a daily basis. You know, it's it's that's our biggest challenge at the moment is is actually hitting our targets. And in terms of that partner with D, partnership with DHL, how long has that been around for? So DHL have been involved with um, with Formula E in the championship since the very beginning. Um, They've been an absolutely fantastic partner of, of, of ours. We've sort of grown together as the championships evolved. We're facing new challenges on a daily basis. And obviously as, as, as the championships grown, we've, we've sort of grown together. So I think going back to sort of seasons one, two and three, we were using two planes as we've evolved into, uh, into a world championship. Our freights uh, become bigger. Our our want has become more, um, and that's not just from the teams, it's from our partners, it's from all the people that we use um, to get this um, championship up and running. I mean, how do you, what's that relationship like between yourself and the teams? How does that, how does that work? 
So I've, I actually come from the team side. So for the first six years of Formula E, um, I was on the team side. I came from Renault Formula One. I've been involved in uh, in on the on the F1 side for nearly 20 years. Um, we were approached by Virgin in the, in the very beginning of Formula E and said, "Can you can you come and help us set up a team?" So. I was basically doing uh, running two teams at the same time, so I was looking after um, the Renault test team at the time, going off and doing different things around the world, and then and then this came up, so moved into moved into Formula E since the very beginning, and then uh, the last couple of years, I was asked if um, would I like to come and have a look at the <coughs> have a look at the logistics for Formula E. So um, yeah, here I am. And in, in, you mentioned there, uh, well. Sustainability is at the heart of this championship. Obviously, it's very, very important. And we've been talking about particular standards, so ISO 2012-1, for example, and also 45001 as well as a new one that's being looked at and, and others that we, the organisation's looking at. I just wonder, from your perspective, in your role, how important is that to you generally, but also then in your relationship with DHL? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously on, on the... On the, the high point of the list for, for everybody, it's sustainability. It's it's what we want to um, uh, sort of give out our story around the world with with DHL. Their their sustainability policy is is, is absolutely huge. We're talking about all the different supply chains involved in that as well. Um, since joining in season six, um, the first thing I did was look at the freight, um, see what we can do with that big push from um, our founder um, Alberto he said right you need to have a look at this I want to get down to two planes which was a, an extremely difficult uh, position to be in so we looked at that anyway we pushed the teams going in from from season six to season seven we managed to save roughly 25 tons in, uh, in, in obviously weight but that also accounts to volume as well um, we've been, we're pushing our partners. Everything that we're looking at is, do we need to carry that? Can we source it locally? Training the teams to think about that as well. We offer uh, the teams a, a nice service where they don't need to bring consumables, they don't need to bring tables, chairs, fans, printers, fridges, all of that sort of thing. I so just wonder, as a, as a principal, I can see how that you, you're used because of sustainability at the, at the core of the, of the championship, but how, how are you, is the standard effective there? Do you, are you conscious of that? Do you use the, the fact that you are certified to a particular standard in those conversations that you have? Oh no, absolutely. When, when we're talking to suppliers, when we're going for tenders, for, for, you know, for the, the different supply chains, that's what we're, we're pushing for those. You know, we, we want to know what their standards are and also their supplier supplier. So we're pushing that all the way along the supply chain because obviously, you know, Formula E is all about sustainability. And what, over, the, over your time with Formula E, how, what changes have you seen from that? How effective has that been? When we first started the championship, it was, I mean, this was, this was eight years ago now. We've, we've moved on so far. I mean, we're, we're recycling all of the carbon pieces that the, that the teams smash up. We wasn't doing that back in the very beginning. Um, all of the bins that you see around now, the recycling that we're doing, the way that we're recycling our food in um, in team and crew catering, it, it, it's it's all around us now. It's moved on absolutely leaps and bounds from where we were in the beginning, and it's 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 so you know you feel proud to to be part of that and see how far it's evolved. Yeah, I'm just wondering. You sound you sound. I just wonder how how important that has been. Do you think? Obviously, you've worked in this industry for a long time. What sort of difference has it made to you in your job? How do you how you, do you how you feel about your job? I mean, obviously coming from the world of Formula One, and and to where we are now, you know, the, the battery technology and the how fast everything's moving, I feel I feel extremely privileged to have to have been chosen to come and to come in, into Formula E from the very beginning. So seeing that evolve, and you know, I've got some young children. I want you know, I'm I'm, I'm pushing them to think about what's going on with the planet. You, you look around, you see all of the climate change going on at the moment. I mean, you know, you, you think, I want my planet to be around forever. I just want to, you know, I want to leave my footprint. And, and obviously to be part of this is, is, is our legacy. I just wonder what, what advice you give them. You have a long career. 
uh, and maybe not even other other motorsports, but other events. Maybe what what have, what would you say to someone in your job in a in a in a different a different sporting event or, or working in logistics about the importance of not so just just sustainability standards, but standards generally. You know that whole approach about international best practice. What would you say to them? No, I mean we we want people to look at us for our standard, and I would hope that that what we're showcasing now. Is, is going to be the standard for everybody else. I mean, you, you go to all these different sort of festivals, you see the music, Every, everybody is now pushing sustainability, you know, and, and it's an absolutely fantastic thing to see, but it, it's, what, it's what's needed. You know? Where do you think, in your, in your six years, where has been the biggest impact of, of using the standards? Either in terms of the relationships maybe, or in, or in terms of the practice, where, where would you say the biggest impact has come? I would say the biggest impact, is, well, especially from my point of view, is it's being pushed harder on myself and, and obviously our partner DHL to find more sustainable ways for us to travel around the world. And obviously it, it's quite difficult. We're in a, a world championship um, where it, we need to be able to go to places where you're going to have uh, good weather of where, of where you go. We're trying to group all of our races together in the different continents, but it's very difficult sometimes. So we know that that's our our biggest challenge is to make sure that our races are more sustainable, as in from how we get from A to B. And we're we're pushing the envelope with with the the biofuels that we got, with the SAF fuel for the aircrafts. If we don't need to, you know, if we're going by road. Um, can we can we do different ways around that? We're using rail, you know. Obviously, we're, we're and, and we're trying to go by sea as much as we can. We're using different biofuels in the in the in the ships. So we're we're pushing that as hard as we can, and and that, and that's been left from the top. I mean, it sounds actually on that. Yes, I mean, is that has that been important? Is that it's been driven by the top? How important do you think that is? Oh no, absolutely. I mean, it's you know, it's it, it's, it's what this championship is made up of, you know. We're not reinventing cars, we're not reinventing the wheel, you know, it's always been there. But what we're trying to do is say we are actually a sustainable racing championship. Yeah. Everything that we're trying to do is to cancel out our footprint around the world, take the entertainment, we can still watch people racing and, and we're good for the environment. And in terms of, I mean, you talked there quite passionately about, about where, where you've come from. I just wonder where you go next. Where would you like to see further improvements being made? And, but, you know, particularly of using the standards, but also in terms of your general approach to sustainability, where, where do you go next in your role? I mean, for me, it's, it's just a continual, continual push to find different ways where we can reduce the amount of air freight that we ship around the world, um, turning that into more sea freight. Um, which is more more sustainable than the aircraft trying to fly less people around around the world because um, obviously there's a there's another big footprint with the, with the amount of people that we have to take so for me it's it's trying to reduce further and further and further the amount of air freight that we can that we can do you know you said about traveling around the world um, do you ever get fed up of it <laughs> it does become a bit monotonous after a while what's I your mean, favorite location do you know somebody asked me that the other day and, and to be honest I don't, I don't think I've really got a favourite place. I mean, every everywhere we go is a new challenge for us. Um, you know, we was in Jakarta a couple of months ago for the very first time. That was a big challenge for us. It was a big challenge for them. You know, it's a, a, I think it was we were the biggest international sporting event that they'd ever hosted, and you know, going over there, learning new customs processes and how they wanted to work I mean they filmed absolutely everything that we did we opened every single box that we had so they could take a component out it could be ticked off a carnet list double checked lid put back on and then go into the go into the venue and then deliver everything that we got I mean yeah. every every single race is a is a new challenge at the moment um, so I don't really have a favorite one I mean here in here in the UK is obviously it's home so I don't have to fly which is which is great <laughs> yes great. flying flying is not my, my uh, the, the glamour's gone time. from flying I think oh, a long time ago no. so in my conversation with Barry he'd mentioned about shipping all the equipment around the world both from the, the championship itself and from the teams and I picked this up with Matthew Bermel procurement director at Formula E 
I also spoke to him about standards and in particular how they help him and the championship build trust in supply chains. And I started by asking him about how many and varied those supply chains must be. We split it into items that we can source locally uh, as well as those that aren't easily available in, in uh, some of the, the areas we go to, the locations we go to. Um, and those that are race critical, we do travel with us. Okay. So, in terms of that sort of uh, uh, sort of pick the sort of global ones, then. So, what is it you're you're procuring for the entire championship? Um, so, logistics, branding, um, timing and telemetry, technology, broadcast uh, equipment, broadcast production. It's quite a lot. So, all of that travels with you all over the world to every race. Correct. Yes. And then, give me an example of what sort of stuff you would then be procuring locally. So local would be more of the standard type of easy to find items, so cabins, grandstands, um, walling, fencing, uh, all of those type of uh, easy easy to find uh, items. I'd love to cover this with colour this with stats. So give me a sense of the scale here. How many suppliers do you, do you do you have to work with? Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah. So on any event, depending if we're indoor, outdoor, um, I would say global suppliers. We've got about thirty. Um, internet, uh, local suppliers, it can be anything from 10 to 50, it, it just depends on what the scope is. What. And in terms of managing that supply chain, you know, are you facing any particular challenge at the moment? You're running an international event, I just wonder, you know, with the global economy as it is, what sort of challenges are you facing in your, in your role? Our challenges after COVID have been logistics for one, the number of flights that are available and charter flights uh, have decreased, there's more demand on charter flights because um, uh, a lot of cargo can't travel on commercial planes, which has also had a, an effect on shipping. Um, so shipping costs have also increased significantly, as well as the amount of ships aren't available anymore. Um, so those have decreased, so there's more demand on them. So you really have to book uh, many, many different options well in advance. I was going to say that, how, yeah, how have you approached that? That sounds a real headache given that you've got an event that's, that's got to take place how have you approached that yeah so it's it's just having backup and contingency so we would book three different ship shipping routes for our freight um always have a backup plan work out you know m m working out the timings where where, uh, where the stopovers are because um, anything could happen and has anything has anything happened has things uh, gone <laughs> you say contingency <laughs> but has anything gone badly wrong uh, no, we've always made made it work. We've always had a workaround, and uh, we've had to activate a couple of contingencies, but we've we've always made it work. And we talked there about the post-COVID world. I mean, do you see these things settling down again? Is it do things as long-term change now? Or I, I don't think it'll go back to where it was before COVID, but things are starting to settle down now. Yeah. So, Matthew, I'm interested in about you know you're in you're, you're looking after procurement. I just wonder how important international standards are for you in your role and what you do. I mean, it really depends on the locations we go to. We try and standardize as much as we can to be an ethical supplier and event. Um, when, we, when I first started six years ago, when we were in our infancy, it was a lot more difficult to get um, suppliers to work to our international standards because we we're a lot smaller and people didn't want to go the extra mile. As we've grown, we've worked with suppliers to improve uh, practices and bring up to like the right standards. So this is, I mean, in particular, this is ISO 2012 one you're mm -hmm. talking about. I mean, how right. how important has that been to your role? Um, you know, when we started uh, applying for the uh, the, the standard um, and certification, uh, we were engaged directly uh, at the beginning with the sustainability team, and we created a roadmap on how we would like to uh, improve our practices. Um, and we've worked really close with them over the past three years. We've, um, you know, we've implemented a supply code of conduct um, that all suppliers sign up to. It's part of our contracts we issue with suppliers now. Um, and, you know, when we go into a location that might not have the right standard or practices, it's not saying we wouldn't work with the supplier, but it's helping them to improve their practices to meet the right standards. Because it not only helps us, it also helps the supplier in the long run. I want to ask you about that in a second, but in terms of your 
you're, you mentioned that you've been, you've been with uh, the organisation for six years, so that you've seen the introduction of 2012-1. I just wonder, in your, pre I mean, your previous uh, jobs that you've done, you know, how did you approach that introduction? What did you think when the organisation said, we're going to go for this? What did you think about that? Well, I mean, I worked on the London Olympics, and that was the first uh, of course. event 2012 where 2012-1 <laughs> was made. Um, and sustainability was seen as you know reduction in waste really but it's so much more than that and even when I moved to Formula E everyone thought sustainability is just you know not creating so much waste but it's about choosing the right people to work with are they ethical um, what, what are their practices how do they engage with the community and it's it's reviewing all of those aspects and uh, it, it, it's so much broader than just waste reduction you mentioned there that um it's important for you in your role in order to have those conversations with suppliers. Mm -hmm. Maybe without naming names, but give me an example about, about sort of conversations you've had to have because of that. Um, so a good one's branding. Uh, you know, we want to try and be a sustainable event. So it's uh, we approached our branding supplier, you know, looking at the materials that we use and trying to always use more sustainable materials. We can't always do that because vinyl is vinyl. Um, there's no other option for it. Um, but it's how, how, what other applications or uses we could have. There's nothing. It, it, it has to be destroyed. But it's looking at, well, w can we cut down and replace it? Um, or is it absolutely necessary to put it up in, in those locations where the branding is? Or could, it might be, there might be a more expensive solution, but in the long term it's better for us. And what you, you said that you wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily stop you working with a supplier if they were, mm -hmm. weren't working to the same standard, but over time, what are you trying to get them to do? Just to Im improve their practices and maybe look at alternatives, uh, alternative methods to what, to what they're doing now. You know, like Europe is very different to South America um, when we look at just methods and materials that are used. Um, and quality of materials. We would also like, like to introduce uh, different options. So for example, in the Middle East, um, the cabins over there are all made from drywalling. These are the cabins that we, I see around me here. So these are the sort of, you're setting up a, a mini site with the offices and things like that, yeah? Correct, correct. So for example, we, the cabins over there, you need a crane to put them in place. The cabins we use here are collapsible and you only need a forklift. So less machinery, less transportation for machinery. We can, with these collapsible cabins, we can get 10 on a truck instead of a one on a truck. Uh, so it's more, sustain it's more sustainable in that way. There's less congestion with traffic because there are fewer trucks. In Saudi Arabia, um, this company has decided to move into the Middle East now um, because of a request we made to them. Um, and we'll be using them in the future. And yeah. d just the, over, over your six years and, and since the standard's been introduced, you know, give me a sense of, of how many organisations have actually changed their practices and even how many organisations oh. or suppliers have actually gone to 2012-1 themselves. Do you, have a, do you know that? Um, so I know a number of them are uh, in the application process. As a, as a, res as a result of what your, of correct. your relationship with them? Correct. Yeah. So we, whenever we engage with a new supplier, we do a pre-qualification. Um, assessment and part of their pre-qualification is their sustainability practices and it's not to say you need them to work with us but it's just to give us an idea of what the baseline is um, and how we would work with you in the future to improve that. I just wonder in your in your role and given um, the changes that have, that have taken place as the championships developed what, what would help you you know where where with the work in your suppliers where might standards help you do your job better? Um, <clears throat> or, 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 or sort of allow that you know that you're become more efficient in what you do and, and, and produce a better product at the end of the day, a better, better championship. It, it's just a quality assessment, right? I'd say um, to know that a supplier meets a standard um, just means we can shortlist them to know, you know, we can. You're all on the same yeah, set of the same page. Much. You know, we know you, you yeah. know what practices they're doing. Correct, yeah. yeah. So we, we know that we can trust that they're going to deliver the right material or service in the right way without having to uh, 
show them and direct them as much well, as actually, we in your, have in, in the your past. Role, obviously working with suppliers globally, how important is that concept of trust? How important is that? For oh, you? It, it's you know, it, it's it's very, very, very important for us to trust our suppliers. We're a small team of uh, 200 people in uh, formerly, um, and we you know we do 18 to well 14 to 18 events a year, so we're constantly traveling and. We land, we set up the event, we pack up and we leave. The suppliers are on the ground setting everything up and preparing for when we land. So um, it, trust is uh, paramount for us to have a successful event. Sustainability um, and the standards have really helped us up our game. Um, just working with our suppliers and it's been amazing to see how accepting and how keen the suppliers are to actually improve their practices too. Working with the suppliers there and the fact that they have, uh, they are looking to adopt better practices as a result of working with you. How much of that is down to, obviously, their, rela their former relationship to you as a supplier, you are Formula E, and they need the contract? And how much of that down, do you think is down to the standard it's, it's as well? There's, an, there's a, an appeal because it's an international standard. Um, I think the uh, the appeal is like everyone's talking about it and everyone's communicating more about it it's not just formally it's all the other big events the olympics commonwealth games fifa um all of our suppliers say you know that we've noticed how everyone has um up their practices um and they they are actually publicizing how they do things better i mean as a final thought um you're obviously procurement director here, You're working in an organization of 200 people, working with 30 suppliers globally and, and many more at each event. I just wonder what you'd say to someone in a similar, in a, your position in a similar organization or any sort of organization, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a relatively large one, that maybe isn't using international standards in the way that you are. Mm -hmm. What would you say to them? What would your advice be to them? I'd say to them, like, you know, it, a little change can go a long way. Um, and. It's not as big and daunting as you think it, it is. Um, you know, it start with a conversation, do something simple, and just improve every single time you do it over and over again. So it's time to bring down the checkered flag on this episode of The Standard Show. Now, I've got to say, I had an amazing time at the London EPRI, chatting to colleagues from Formula E about how they play sustainability right at the core of the championship. A very clear purpose, and it's also clear that standards have helped and are continuing to help Formula E to deliver on that purpose. It was also a real privilege and great fun too, walking around the paddock and the pit area and getting up close to the cars and the technology behind them. I'm meeting some of the fans too. Kate and Ruth from the UK, Larissa from Romania, and Serenza and Morgan from Belgium. And it was also clear to me from talking to them about how sustainability was one of the key attractions to them about Formula E. So as well as the fans, I need to thank a number of other people too. Thank you to Julia Palais, Ian Nielsen, Matthew Elmer, Barry Mortimer, and Matthew Bamel from Formula E for speaking to me so passionately about what they do and why they do it. And thanks also to Iona for organising the access on Race Weekend and for setting up the interviews. Thanks also to Stone Shepherd, Formula E intern, for looking after me so brilliantly over the two days. And another shout out to Sonia on security for getting me even closer to the action. Now, we have discussed a number of standards in this episode, but featured one in particular, ISO 2012-1, Sustainable Event Management. For more information on 2012-1, Formula E, and the relationship between standards and sustainability, then check out the link in the show notes. You have been listening to an episode of The Standard Show with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Subscribe to us now wherever you get your podcasts. You just heard a stripped media production.